Hey guys, <laughs> I'm Jericho Denman. Hi. Hey. This is part two. Part two. So we did part one on Mission Resilience on Phil Kraft's Survival's podcast. So I'm forcing you to go back if you want to hear one of the best podcasts we've ever done in the history of podcast. We talked uh, about Jericho's career leading up all the way to the 05 trip. And so this is part two of that. It's going to be shared on both Black Gravel Coffee's podcast as well as Phil Kraft. But please go back and listen to part one. Um, it's a great podcast. I, I mean, it's been a while since we did a podcast, but. That was like when it was cold outside. Yeah, That's it was 06. 06. We did that podcast. <laughs> um, 05, you were with at the time C Squadron and your team was augmenting. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was uh, that troop there. They did. They did a mission. They took pretty. They took very heavy casualties uh, on a mission they did. So they were kind of non FMC. They put a uh, RFF request for forces. You know, just basically they needed some more dudes. Um, so I was kind of the senior squad leader in my company at the time, and uh, they were like, "Hey, pick a pick a dream team and go out there and, and augment this troop for uh, the remainder of this deployment." Um, I just took my own squad. I took the, my favorite guys from my own squad. I wasn't going to pick like a new team um, and went out there. And yeah, it was, um, I've talked about it before that, that, that deployment like forged me in for the rest of my career um, for, for a number of reasons. Like I, I was a, you know, senior squad leader in my company, but that was a point in time when the unit was, was a lot more senior than it was towards the end of the war. You know, yeah, it was uh, a guy that's like, you know, for, uh, for instance, uh, Steve Langmack was killed on that trip. Yeah, he, he was the newest guy in the troop. He was my pre-ranger instructor, right? If yeah. he if he hadn't been in the unit, he would have been at that point a platoon sergeant or or more. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of the vibe. Like every assaulter was like, if I wasn't here, I'd be a platoon sergeant. Or if I wasn't here, I'd be like a very senior weapon squad leader or I'd be a first sergeant. Yeah. Right. Um, and Lang Mac was a seventh group guy. Yeah. And he had a, he had a, per, a pretty accomplished career even at that point. Yeah. Up to that point, he'd been a one seven five guy, pre ranger instructor, seventh group, like just a fucking savage, you know, and he was the newest guy there. So then I come in, you know, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm the guy that's interfacing with the trooper day for planning and, and, you know, hot washes and AARs and all that stuff. And it was like, they weren't, I'm not going to say they were assholes. They weren't at all. They were true professionals, but they didn't give a fuck how new I was. You know what I mean? How junior I was. I, I got treated the same. So with my level of, you know, experience, I fucked up a lot in their eyes. And, uh, it was never, like I said, it was never unprofessional. I never got my ass chewed, but the, the AARs, it, it the AARs after those missions we did were just like fucking eye opening. you know, like they didn't give a fuck what you did right no one cared about what you did right. And it wasn't because I wasn't part like a true part of the troop. It was just how they operated. Um, and just, you know, it also showed me what true subordinate leader trust was. There was no like micromanagement. There was no people checking on you. There was no second guessing really of anything you did because it, it was a unit that just operated at this high level. If you don't perform, then you just leave. Right. So, having that trust 
to, to make decisions and having that trust and, and planning, having that trust to like go out and do the right thing just showed like, holy fuck, man, this is how a real, really good organization works. It's high levels of trust, but like high levels of consequence. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think in a lot of organizations, you know, in the military, even in the, in the soft community that when they, when they lose that, that's when the, the, that's when you get that mission, that creep of like almost becoming like a big army unit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then even worse becoming like the British army where like there's no real such thing. NCOs are there to just make sure the trash gets taken out, not to like make decisions on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that having that level of trust placed upon me, that responsibility placed on me, uh, at such a young, like army age. Um, and then just seeing how just what can happen, the results that you can get from that, mm. you know what I mean? Like going in and like sitting in mission planning, watching ISR and, and like watching, you know, this, this troop commander, how many decisions he's just able to make with autonomy, you know, and, uh, that then in, in later deployments, when that stuff started to go away or when we started to get more of that in the regiment, it just showed man, like that trust is like the paramount thing in any organization. Mm -hmm. Um, but that comes with, you know, a very rigorous assessment selection process and very, very clearly defined metrics of success. Um, all those things, but you know, that's kind of like from a, a big picture, like how I operate or how I would kind of run my formations as a leader in the future. Um, but also it's just fucking, that trip was just amazingly violent, like super kinetic. I think, um, I think out of all the rotations that I could recall, cause I was in Afghanistan in 05, but I, I was with task force 06, 07, 08. Um, the Joint Task Force, the JTF, otherwise known as Joint Special Operations Command, Task Force 16, uh, depending on the year that you got in, there was different task force numbers. Yeah. But 05, 06, and 07 were the most, I mean, I know 05 for the unit specifically was one of the most dangerous years mm -hmm. because they were doing daylight, nighttime, multiple targets, multiple uh, engagements, 160th. I think I remember reading a report from Task Force that that year, 160th lost more birds than any year um, because they were doing, at the time, day VI, um, day raids. Um, a lot of operators were killed, and a lot of things changed. Yeah. Um, but at the time, the Task Force was 2-2-SAS, DEV, the unit, Ranger Battalion, and the CRIF, or the Commanders and Extremist Force. Mm -hmm. So you got five unit Task Force that would go out unilaterally with the support package of everything JSOC brought mm -hmm. and just go smash everything. Yeah. And, you know, the whole speed, surprise, violence of action, a lot of the things that we kind of, we see virtue signal today was from that time period <laughs> because certainly things changed. Yeah. And the latter part of my career was nothing like that time period, but the Mulan Labe and all the stuff was like that time period. It all came from that. Yeah, it all came from that. Yeah, I mean, just, it, it sounds like you're being, you know, like, Oh, I invented that. But like fucking a, we did, man. Like yeah. we had, you know, we had a fucking sewing machine in our team room. Yep. You know, we were making kit like tactical Taylor was like, 
he wasn't new, but like that was the only show in town, you know what I mean? And that was the time period when we had to do so much. We had to be so, um, adaptable. We had to do, we had to adapt so much from our TTPs to our kit, to our, you know, our fucking breaching. Everything was bullets, like guns, optics. Everything was changing. Every, yeah, rapidly, bullets right? were fucking changing. Yeah, optics. Yeah, you're right. Like just you know, movement formations. Everything adapted, and and every ad- adaptation was some lesson learned in blood. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that was a death or, or somebody getting wounded, or you know, blood in that we you know left the wire and didn't meet mission success criteria. You know, because every t- you know back then every time you left you were riding the lightning and get blown up on the way out or the way back. So every, every little change that came and all these things, you know, you see dudes now wearing fucking chest racks or their kits set. I'm like, fuck, I remember, I remember guys like with a sewing machine and like fiddle fucking around with that and like making that before yeah. it had come out. And, uh, remember we didn't have up armored vehicles. So we're pulling like every piece of Kevlar and putting it surrounding the vehicle with it. Yeah. Because we were in up open back GM Humvees. Yeah. I mean, soft skins. The only uh, armor on it was what you were wearing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a wild time. So you get into, you get into 06, 07. How did things evolve and, and what, where does this journey take you? Yeah. So after 05 um, came back, I actually made the E7 list after that trip. Um, my CSM pulled me in. I, I had just come back from working at rip now rasp. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a fortuitous timing because my Sergeant major's like, Hey, you just moved here. We're not going to make you move again. So we're definitely going to keep you in two, seven, five for your platoon certain time. It's just a matter of what platoon you're going to take. So I, uh, again, I, I had that, that time period, man, was, was just such a fucking golden era at, at least at two, seven, five of just people caring about what mattered. You know, my, my sergeant major at the time, dude named uh, Doug Pallister was like, you know, Hey, you're a, you're a big boy. Are you going to tell your platoon sergeant to fuck off? Cause you're an E7 now. No. All right. Well, you can be an E7 squad leader until a fucking platoon opens up. So he didn't make me go fucking waste away on some shitty staff job. I got to run a squad until I stepped out of it to take a platoon. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I went back, did another deployment. We were in, uh, just in Baghdad, you know, a few few little scuff ups, but nothing, nothing like the one before Baghdad was relatively, you'd run into a hornet's nest sometimes, but for the most part, they were like, we called it the Baghdad SWAT. It was like not real, super crazy. Um, so I did that a good part of that deployment. Then I went, uh, went back, went to ANOC. I don't know what the fuck it's called now, but yeah. E7 school at Benning, whatever it is. Um, and then I took my platoon. So, you know, I, I consider being a ranger platoon sergeant the best job in the world. That was the pinnacle of my career. Um, I just fucking loved it. You know, when you duck to water, fucking fish in water, whatever you want to call it. I was a way better platoon sergeant than I was fire team leader or squad leader or fucking saw gunner or machine gunner. That was my thing. Like it, it just felt right. I knew I was fucking good at it. You knew the job also every single position inside and out. Yeah. And so you were able to manage that because you came from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the things that I'd learned of, of just how to fucking run an assault, you know, uh, and the things I learned in 05 with those guys. Um, cause it's all we were doing. It's just doing raids. And it was, I always remember back to, um, 
the first external evaluation I had, like, you know, I took my platoon at the beginning of the training cycle, went all the way through the training cycle. And, uh, at the end of that in regiment at the time, we had a GVX, a GWAT validation exercise, is what they call it. It was basically an external evaluation from all the battalion leadership and then company and above level leadership from the whole battalion would basically evaluate each platoon. And then depending on the, you know, how kinetic each outstation that we were going to get sent to was, that's kind of how they, they gauged it. Mm -hmm. Right. Level of uh, how kinetic it was, plus the level of autonomy that that platoon was going to have. Like if you're out there alone and unafraid, you don't have any battalion level oversight, no company level oversight. All right. We need a senior platoon sergeant out there. Good PL, you know? So we're doing, you know, my first GVX as a platoon sergeant and first couple and, and we ran it in true ranger form we didn't run it like hey let's just worry like it was you know you're going to be up for fucking four days you're going to be doing back to back to back to back missions which I'm, I'm fine with but the platoon hadn't really gotten its legs under it yet as far as because i i had a good amount of turnover with my squad leaders it was a very young platoon new platoon leader um and we kind of like we're fucked up be honest and uh a guy named Jimmy Schwartz who would, had been a platoon sergeant in another company who I always thought hated me because he was a very by the book guy, like still had almost a high and tight, you know? <laughs> um, so we weren't the same kind of guy, but he was a really good fucking ranger, really good leader. And he came to me, he's like, Hey man, you're fucking overthinking the shit out of this. Like just do it the same every time. It's like, it's a fucking raid. Some guys go around the back and make sure nobody runs away. And then some guys run in the front. That's, that's all you're doing, you know, <laughs> which is fucking true. And you're like, Oh yeah. And that was like a light bulb moment. I was like, fuck yeah. And, and from that point on, you know, we, in training scenarios, obviously they're going to throw you all kinds of fucking loops and, and, and whatnot. But from that point on, and, I, and I'll say this, anybody can fucking challenge me out there. I had the best platoon in the fucking Ranger, Ranger battalion for the, the rest of my time there. And it, it was the battalion commander would stand in front of the battalion and be like, yeah, three Bravo is the best platoon in the battalion, you know? And, uh, that's not because of me. It's because of, in a way it is, it's because I gave all these people the ability to be their best. You know what I mean? And, you know, I had squad leaders, team leaders that all, you know, every level, I don't know how many guys I had end up going to the unit, but it was a good amount. Um, and you know, <laughs> there were guys, I, I sound like I'm sucking my own dick here, but I'm really not mm -hmm. trying to. I like to. it though. It looks good. <laughs> uh, there were guys in other companies that were trying to re-enlist to come to my platoon. <laughs> like, as, as they're like, as a re-enlistment option. Yeah, as a re-enlistment <laughs> option. I was like, fuck man, like, don't put me in you that situation. You get a t-shirt for that platoon and you get to yeah, yeah, be you, a gutter. Yeah, you get, uh, <laughs> you want a Halo slot or you want to go to 3 Bravo? Oh, I don't know. But it was, a, it was a great time. And, you know, also I was given the, the freedom from my first sergeant, my company commander to run the platoon how I wanted. Hmm. And don't get me fucking wrong. We fucked up a lot of stuff, but it was never stuff, you know, I won't say never, but it was mostly stuff that didn't have anything to do with the mission, you yeah. know, getting after it, killing or capturing the enemy. It, it was none of those things. We definitely did fuck up some, uh, some garrison things, but, uh, you know, boys will be boys, I guess. Is it, do you take them into combat in 07? Is that the first rip into uh, the platoon? No, my first, my first platoon start trip was, um, it was 06 into 07. So like, uh, November 06 through like January, February 07. Yep. I ripped and, out in December of 06. Tongue Nguyen was killed. Well, on a, uh, 
a bilat with 22SAS and, and the third group SIF that I was in at the time. And then in 07, we start TF-17, right? You you guys. Yeah, I I ended up, my two deployments later was a 17 deployment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my first platoon sergeant deployment was, that, that was, fuck it. If I would describe that trip in a word, it would be reps. Because <laughs> mm. that was when we were still doing 90-day rotations. We later moved to like 110 or 120 days. I don't remember what it was. But yeah. We were still doing these like, God damn, did we change? Maybe. I think that was the last 90-day rotation. But in 90 days, my platoon did 115 raids. Wow. And we had like 20 weather days. Right. So wow. that gives you an impression that our my record for one night was five. Wow. And I actually had to call uh, my PL. Like He was a good PL, but he was a bit of a bitch when it came to talking to hire. And he's like, oh, they, they got another following for us. I was like, we don't have physical room for detainees. Like if they'll say over the fucking radio that we can lash detainees to the slat armor on our strikers, then I'm all about it. But like, we physically don't have the space for any more. They detainees. were just flexing you all over the city, just rolling yeah, dudes up. Yeah. Follow on to follow on to follow on. And, and that's kind of how we did. Like it, it was, we got into a, a good fucking battle, uh, a good rhythm where, you know, and we knew it, man, like a few months, uh, you know, couple months into that rotation, we'd get, you know, Hey, target secure starting SSE. And we would just like fucking wait for the call. And just you be know like, it's happening. Yeah, it's like, hey, we got another, we got another grid for you, and we're like, motherfucker. But it started to become kind of like a point of pride, like, oh yeah, you want to get sent? Okay, motherfuckers, like, give us all you got. Yeah, you know. And uh, and this is striker days, right? Striker days. Yeah. yeah, I think that whole deployment, that whole trip out of you know, hundred and something, hundred and fifteen, whatever raids. I think we flew on helicopters like three times. Yeah, I think that was very popular to gaff back then. Because all the lessons learned from 05 mm -hmm. and 06, I remember we gaffed a lot, did a couple offsets on some borders. Yeah, that was the, the but, I didn't land on the X that whole time in a helicopter. It was all offset yeah. infills out of 47s, like, you know, conventional 47s or whatever. Drop us in the middle of the desert and we walk into something. Um, I loved having strikers, though. I fucking love that truck. I, I would, you know, I had my little home in the back. with, um, And you, you saw a lot of weird different TTPs coming out of different battalions, even down to different platoons. Um, yeah, because the unit was using panders, mm -hmm. and the striker was just just better. Just I mean, better. Just way was, better. Yeah, it was just way better, bigger. And then we get into 07. And 07 for us was one of the most – I mean, we killed the most bad dudes that rotation. Mm -hmm. How was your 07 trip? Um, so 07 – so the – the tail half of 07, like we absolutely decimated that, that first trip, 06 into 07, decimated a couple of networks in North. I was in Northern Iraq. So I was work my platoon. Missoula? Were you Missoula or? No, that was, uh, there was two platoons up in Mosul. Okay. I had from Tikrit to Beji. Okay. Right. And then Mosul kind of took over from North of Tikrit. And then there was a team in Balad that took over from South of Samara. Yeah. So we had, we called it, we called it the fucking triple play. If we ever had to do a hit in Beji to crit and then, uh, no, Beji was up. I'm fucking up. It was Beji up North, which was kind of our Northern limit to crit proper, which is where we kind of were. And then Samara in the South. Mm. So we called it the triple play. If we got a mission in each one in one mm -hmm. night, which yeah. fucking sucked. That was like two hours of driving. Yeah. You know? Um, but we were hitting like we were 
the, the task force was hitting its stride and like really kind of getting that like dismantle the network shit down. So our Intel guys were getting better. Like I don't remember and I won't say the name of the network, but we I caught the fucking their Amir of Iraq. Caught their Amir of fucking Mosul. All the fucking dudes, like all the top twenty of of TF North, like we caught them or killed them. Um that one that trip wasn't super kinetic. We probably killed in total like fuck twenty dudes. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It had probably mm, five to ten gunfights. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even call them gunfights. They were shootings. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and that one was pretty kind of the normal ranger machine type of or task force fucking mission. Um also that was like during winter time, right? The next one in 07, I was in Mosul mm-hmm. in the summer. So it was fighting season. Lots of, I mean, sounds weird, but there was a lot of indirect, right, in Mosul. Like, which some people are like, oh, you got your CIB from indirect, whatever. Like, after a while, indirect sucks. <laughs> you know, that's horrible. It's <laughs> yeah. not fun. Um, but lots of that. But then we saw the enemy, especially in Mosul, who were who were super savvy, opsec savvy on their end. They started to realize some of our TTPs, and it made us have to change ours quite a bit there just in kind of uh battle rhythm so we started hitting i would say in that mosul trip probably a third to 50 percent of our hits were during daylight uh, yeah land on the, like striker land on the x right um because you just the early warning that the all these neighborhoods fucking had was was insane you know you just scored x like as soon as you cross a certain road whoever's watching the target building, you know, overhead is like, yeah, they're all fucking gone. Starburst. Like, yeah. And then you go out and do a block party and you try and fucking find where they are and you fucking hit like 10 houses. And, you know, once you're on the deck for about 20 minutes and stationary, everybody comes out and starts to shoot at you. So I wasn't complaining. You know, I, I thought the daylight shit was pretty cool. It's more like, you know, when you grow up as a kid and you see war movies, none of them are at night, you know, at least when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Oh fuck. Yeah. This is what war looks like instead of a fucking video game. You know, I, know. At night. I always thought daylight stuff was real fun. Cause it, it brought awareness in these aspects that we totally got away with at night Yeah, where you thought you were immune. Cause yeah. you're like, nobody sees us. Yeah, exactly. Like people, you know, <laughs> you saw it, like people start to think about fucking cover and shit like that. Cause like, Oh yeah, everyone can fucking see me, you know? And I'm, I could be shot at at any fucking moment out here. Mm. Um, with a relatively high degree of success for the fucking person shooting at me. Mm. Um, so that one was, yeah, a, a little more, uh, I'll say like we got in a lot more gunfights. It was, it was about the same op tempo. Um, we got on fucking what's his nuts trail for a while. The old AQ. Zerkawi? AMZ. AMZ. Yeah. yeah. Got an AMZ's trail for a bit. That was like called it the Mosul phase of Ranger school. Cause we were just like hitting and hitting and hitting. Like I didn't sleep for like a fucking week. Um, but good, good fucking trip. Uh, we had my platoon and a platoon from another company. The sister platoon lost, uh, lost a kid out on a mission. Um, I had a couple guys get wounded, but it was, uh, we, we did a lot of, a lot of work. Um, killed, killed a lot of dudes, captured a lot of dudes. Um, and Mosul was, Mosul was fucking great because like, if you remember you'd, you'd roll out of the gate and you could be doing a hit and it was like a fucking five minute drive. Yeah, you, you know, so like, even though it was the op tempo was high, like all those little fucking ankle biter things didn't really occur. Like it was, it was pretty. I'm gonna use the word easy, but it was a lot easier than yeah. 
you know, this Baghdad where you ha- had to go hours away God, for yeah. some op, yeah. which sucked. MSS Fernandez. Yeah. It was horrible staging out of there. Yeah. So that was, uh, <clears throat> that trip. And I, and it, I really had my legs under me for that. I had almost no turnover. Cause like I said, my, my retention was great. Nobody wanted to fucking leave the platoon, um, unless they were going to a selection or something. Um, so it was, we were just fucking hooking and jabbing, man. It was like we could do raids in our sleep. It, yeah. was, it was good. Not to say we didn't do fuck up some stuff, you know. I feel like but, at that point, you know, our careers run parallel to each other in different worlds. Same with your brother who was with me. We get to a point and it's like you're starting to peak at like 07, 08. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then things start to transition. And I noticed a hard transition from my 07 trip to 08. How was that experience transitioning for you? Did you feel it? Did you see it coming? The, I would say the transition from 07 to 08. So 08, my last, uh, was that my last platoon trip? Yeah, was was the 17 mission set, which. This is the SEAL thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, my platoon. We had a uh, platoon from SEAL Team 8, um, which there was some serious butt sniffing fucking issues going on there. <laughs> But like, I remember when you guys got handed that mission in 07, I literally was standing in the hallway when a ranger like platoon sergeant and one of the, one of the Navy SEAL like LTs were sitting there and they're like, Hey, like one of my guys, who's a SIF guy, B23 guy, they said, Hey, they just pulled us over to work with TF 16 and they're standing up this new thing and you go, you guys got to go find out about it. It's like a joint thing between Rangers yeah. and seals. And we were like, Oh my God, thank God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was pretty fucking funny. It was like, it was eye opening for, I think both the entities there, but in different ways. Yeah. Right. Like, man, I, I thought seals, were fucking, and I'm not talking shit about seals here, but I, <laughs> I thought fucking seals were like fucking awesome, you know? And yeah. like shit, like I, not to say, I don't think fucking seals are all seals are fucking talented ass motherfuckers. They're tough, all that shit. But, when I say uh, I thought that they had had a lot more combat experience than they did. Yeah. And so did they. Um, so, you know, this, this platoon showed up and like none of the guys there had combat experience except like the platoon chief and maybe a couple other guys, everybody else had like, maybe they deployed, they went somewhere, they went to like the Philippines or they did, uh, you know, PSD for some fucking somebody in Iraq or whatever. They, they weren't, they, they definitely weren't operating at the speed of war we were, yeah. right? They weren't doing raids, certainly. No. And it was kind of funny. Those guys kind of got sold a bill of goods. Um, you know, their fucking chain of command was like, yeah, you're going to go in there and kind of like show these guys what's up. Yeah. And like they came in with that fucking attitude. Yeah. And I was like, and it's funny you mentioned, because it was my platoon and another platoon, our company leadership. But another platoon from our company was across the street in the other task force, like going out and doing unilateral raids. And all these fucking squids come in and they're like, yeah, I'm like, Hey, my man, you see the guys across the street. That's what I was doing the last fucking like six trips. We don't need you guy. You need us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they thought, uh, I remember at one point they thought they were going to do the operating. Like they do, they do like what Delta's doing. And then the Rangers are going to do containment. Right. It's <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. That It was, it was funny, man. And they, through no fault of like, you know, the guys at the platoon level, those were good guys, Yeah, you know, um, not all of them, but not everybody, not every guy in my platoon was a good guy either, you know? Yeah. Um, but after, 
after a few weeks, man, we got it together and we, we actually had a pretty fucking good time. I still talk to that platoon chief from that platoon all the time. We're, you know, we got to be pretty good buddies on that trip. Um, but to answer your question about like, like a paradigm shift, right? It ROE became a fucking buzzword, mm-hmm. right? We knew we had an ROE before, but it wasn't something that got talked about. It was like, don't fucking murder people. You know, it was basically yeah. the ROE. Yeah. Um, and it became a lot different, you know, like, you know, con ops and fucking, you know, shooter we, statements. Ye, oh, fuck. Yeah. I forgot about those. Like, yeah. yeah anytime you fucking, came out. Yeah. I remember that was the first time that was yeah. the first trip. It was like, if you fucking close somebody out, you had to do a fucking sworn statement. Yeah. Like, this is fucking weird. They say target one. There was five guys killed. Uh, who, who shot him? And everybody be like. I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like the first time people were, were not acknowledging how many dudes he killed on target. Yeah. I just, right. I felt threatened. Yeah. That was all I, you know, I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is weird. So that was, that was, that was that time period, you know, like a lot more, uh, just a lot more scrutiny from the mission launch criteria, you know, like, spinning up and getting stood down, spinning up and getting stood down. It slowed, you know, it slowed our op tempo down significantly. You know, I'd say that, that Mosul deployment I did, you know, after when it was like a hundred, we, we probably did like 90 something raids in, you know, 105, 110 days. It was, you know, if you didn't go out, it's because like there was weather or some other reason. I mean, if there was a dude that was a fucking tomato thief, you're going to go out and fucking ball him up before that. But then, uh, 08 hit and it was, you know, well, what is it worth, you know, what may happen, right? Mm. The, I don't remember the, the acronym, but the fucking, you know, collateral dam the CDE didn't just apply to calling CAS. It could, it applied to like mission launch. Right. So that was, that was kind of the big thing, but in it, yeah, you bitch about it, you piss about it, but it, it became a, you know, it became a part of your job. Like, okay, how can I articulate this fucking deck, this target deck to where I can fucking launch and go out and, and kill these motherfuckers? So it just made you think differently. And it's, it did slow the, the op tempo down, which you can, you can look at it one of two ways. Like it made us better because we were more rested or it made us worse because we didn't get the reps in. Um, my platoon was, was still largely unchanged for that trip. Um, I had a new platoon leader, but he didn't, he didn't really matter. You know? yeah. Um, he was a good, a good platoon leader, but it was like the platoon just running so well and like had such, you know, all the squad leaders were still the same. It was just like, he came in and I was like, Hey, here's how it works. He's like, okay, what calls do I make? Oh, you that's know? a good, that's a good officer. Yeah. He's a good officer. Yeah. Um, but Still, uh, that, that trip, that was the, you know, in back in Baghdad, but it was, it was largely the, uh, you know, the Sodders guys. I don't, is that Sunni or Shia? I fucking can't. Shia. Yeah. Yeah. Mahdi militia guys. Yeah. We were hitting all Shia targets. So that was heavy that year. I remember. Yeah. And dude, we got it on. Yeah. Um, When we did go out, we got it on. Like that was, uh, on that deployment, it's the first time I ever ran out of ammo. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean, we had more in the trucks, but it was, uh they were kind of offset to us. So it was like getting mags off guys and stuff. And that was one of those things though, that I carried on later. I'm like, Hey, it's a fucking bad feeling to run out of ammo. Yeah. And if a few guys do, then we're in a bad time. So, you know, just from a little TTP standpoint, like something I learned, I'm like, Hey, if I'm, 
if I'm suppressing a fucking building for another element to maneuver, I can fire one round into that known, likely or suspected area instead of two. And mm-hmm. it does the same job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the, just the, when I was like a more senior guy and doing AARs and like, you know, trying to impart some wisdom on the, the, the younger guys doing an exercise. Like there's, I remember as a, as a new guy in an AR, I'd always like try and take one thing out of it. Cause your leadership will stand there and talk for fucking a half hour. Yeah. So I, I usually try to just be like, Hey, here's one fucking thing I want you to take from this. And almost always it was like the art of suppression mm. and that simple thing, you know, like if I'm a fucking bad guy and I want to like peek out of this, you know, fucking porthole of some kind to shoot at you and I'm about to do it and a fucking round zips through the fucking porthole, I'm not going to like keep doing it because there weren't two of them. It, it accomplishes the exact same thing mm. if I go or if I go mm-hmm. so it's kind of a rabbit hole, but like that was one of the little things I learned from that scenario of being in these kind of like they weren't as like bad of contacts as like an 05, but they were like longer, you know what I mean? More sustained, just like, cause those, those she is, they'd been, they'd been trained to do this since the Saddam days. Yeah. Like they were, they had insurgency back then. Yeah. Yeah. They were an insurgency against the Saddam guys. So, you know, we knew like, okay, this neighborhood, as soon as we cross this fucking street, we're going to be getting it on. Mm. We're going to be in some kind of contact. We'll be in contact up to our VDO our video is going to be in contact. So like other little TTPs that had to change. Okay. We got to leave more fucking dismounts and shooters with our, with our vehicles or else they're going to get fucking rolled up. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Um, you know, actually using the city as cover and concealment in your movement to the target building, yeah. you know, like, all right, how tall are the fucking buildings on this street? How versus how tall are they on this street? Things that we really hadn't thought about before because these dudes like had their shit together. They were shooting anti-aircraft dishkas like 12.7 at ISR platforms yeah. as you were infilling. And you're like, oh my, there's tracer going up in the sky. You're like, what is happening? Here? Yeah, man. They, They're formidable. They are. And they, that was also that trip, a big change. And I think it was just more that target set that, the big thing I noticed, they had night vision. Yeah. And that was a fucking game changer. Yep. Um, they also aimed their fucking rifles. Yep. You know, like they, they, knew, they yeah. knew they knew how to aim. So all the all the fire you took was more effective. They could effectively shoot at you at night. Yep. EFPs. Um, they had the yeah, EFPs I, format. So my that trip, my platoon, we actually like we had to get strikers sent from other outstations because we had four of them get wasted. Yeah. But it was like, I don't know. I have fuck for the clover up my ass, but nobody in my platoon got a scratch that trip. Wow. And we, we had four strikers EFP would like one of them. One of the projectiles went through the left side. It, if the, the driver's seat cushion, it cut a, like a half moon out of it. So it, went behind him by like fucking two inches. Wow. Through the rest of the striker, through the fucking engine or whatever giant chunk of, yeah. know, if that's the transmissions right there, whatever the fuck it is. And then, uh, concaved or whatever, the other side. Wow. And then there were, you know, those were all like multi-array EFPs, you know, so there were a bunch of other 
projectiles that penetrated the truck. Nobody got a scratch. Jeez. Um, and we had, yeah, we had four hard broke fucking deadline, never to return strikers. And like, uh, it became a joke. It was always kind of a joke in my platoon. Like people were like, Hey, do you guys know how to use your jammers? Cause like we got fucking fucked up by IDs way laid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of long sustained contact, like with a, an organized enemy, like ISR would call and be like, Hey, they're maneuvering on you. Like groups of guys are maneuvering to, to come and, you know, either shoot at your VDO or shoot at your assault force or, or whatever. So that was like kind of more like fighting an army than it was fighting insurgents. Mm-hmm. Um, like we did one, uh, we were leaving target and we got ambushed like a fucking straight up ranger school L shape ambush on our VIX. It was fucking, it was actually awesome. Like I was like, man, I would have given that guy a fucking go like <laughs> fucking IED at the front of the convoy. IED at the rear of the convoy fucking, uh, about 150 meter length, uh, ambush line. And then straight to our rear were two fucking MGs. Oh, wow. It's like ripping it up down the road, shooting down the road. Yep. Shooting up the, the convoy. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool story. I, I always rode out of the hatch. I, I didn't ever button up. Yeah. Cause I wanted to see shit and potentially shoot at shit. So, my guys would kind of like just look out of the hatch at what I was doing. And I had, uh, at the time it was one of my squad leaders was with me out of the hatch and we get back and, you know, I was just like kind of fighting the contact. We just rolled through the X, you know, and like none of our vehicles got stopped or anything. So it wasn't a big deal, but we were, you know, we were in the ambush for probably 25, 30 seconds. And, uh, as we make a turn to get out of the ambush, I like fucking, you know, change my eyes, kind of pop back down. Like, look at the guys. I'm like, that was fucking wild. And they're like, how the fuck are you not dead? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said that like, as me and this, this other guy's nickname was Eddie boy, as me and Eddie boy are up there, like engaging, they're like, there were tracers like going between your arm and your rifle. Like there were fucking (laughs) tracers going like right in front of your face. Like we could see him. And I was like, I didn't notice. And, uh, we get back and, one of our trucks had a fucking unexploded RPG in the slat armor in the oh bird cage. Oh my god! Not mine, but uh, like the third truck in the in the convoy. And uh, remember, there were those two FM antennas at the back of the striker. Yep. The one that was like you know right here, which I remember it because when I would shoot, I had to like go over it to get to the rear. And uh, that thing had like three fucking bullet holes in it. Oh my god! Yeah, like and it's right here. Right. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was fucking wild, man. But, uh, in that we, we ended up killing all those dudes cause we had fucking AWG, the Apaches on station and they're like, yeah, we see them. And they just fucking way they just started fucking wrecking shop on them. Um, but yeah, every, every deployment was, um, different from, you know, enemy TTP standpoint and also from just a, a political operating environment standpoint. Yeah. You're getting um, your PhD in combat. I mean, you're, yeah. you're learning about warfare and insurgency and evolving your career field. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny to sit here and talk about it in hindsight. Like when you're in it, you're just like, whatever, it's like yeah. fucking blocking the tackling, but then to sit here and talk about it and be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. That was a lot of shit. And like a lot of, again, man, 
I go back to like subordinate leader trust. Like there was there, we didn't have to fucking, we didn't have to come back as a fucking battalion and have a conference about TTPs in order for me to fucking flex. Yeah. I just flexed and no one gave me shit about it. No one questioned it. It was, Oh, that's where, where you are and what you're doing. That's what you need to do. Roger that like fucking go forth and conquer. Well, you, me and you came in the military in the nineties and I, I look at, I kind of look at the military experience and getting the autonomy and the institutional knowledge and building that. But I remember what it was like pre GWAT with essentially no experience. Yeah. Where, you know, my, my first squad leader, Sergeant Harris, was in Desert Storm and he was like, oh my God, he killed a dude in Desert Storm with his bare <laughs> hands. It's like, not likely. Yeah, he probably heard a firefight. Like, yeah, he like, heard one. It's like the four day war. Um, but. I'm hearing from guys now in Ranger Battalion and and SF especially that it's getting back, even in the unit, I hear it from the unit, it's getting back to a a garrison military. Yeah. The focus is different. The institutional knowledge doesn't exist. Yeah. What do you think that's going to evolve or de-evolve into? Yeah. It's, you know, I was up, I was up at 275 like two weeks ago, a week ago. Um, and went and hung out with the boys a bit. And a lot of the, a lot of the stuff they're saying is like, you know, you'd have these, well, I'll, I'll first, I'll start by saying, you know, I went to the ball. So everybody's in their dress greens or blues or whatever you want to call them. Did you bring a date? Uh, Matt best. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I saw a picture of you and yeah, Matt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so CIBs were the exception, not the rule. Right. Whereas when I was there, it was like, oh, you don't have CIB. You must be fucking brand new. Right. So there wasn't many CIBs. No, those those lived on like E7 and up and then like select other guys. What? Yeah. Like squad leaders, not the general rule. Um, team leaders, definitely not. So it was, it was wild interacting with those guys and they're talking to you and they're like, oh, man, like you were here fucking for the glory days, you know, and like, oh, and combat wise yes they're they're making sense but a lot of the things they bitch about like oh we have this garrison mindset now and we're doing this and this i'm like man we were saying that when we were in the shit when we were like in the thick of it we're like <laughs> oh this fucking sucks they care about dumb bullshit you know yeah. and, and you're in it you know and you're in it and i remember but there was a time like every fucking time we would come back from a deployment or whatever there'd be some fucking needle dicked officer season it's like the war's gonna end someday we got to get back to what what got us here type of shit yeah um like the containment yeah yeah <laughs> like fucking you know blocking positions using fucking five melted 550 to repair your waterproof bag like field craft <laughs> you know <laughs> dumb shit and but i do think they are they're, they're losing a lot of uh you know that institutional knowledge i don't think there's a way not to yeah um but at least in the regiment, the Ranger Regiment, they have, I don't, I think that the Ranger Regiment, I mean, I haven't been in, in, you know, an SF group, but I think within, you know, the task force community, I think the Ranger Regiment evolved more than anyone. And I'm not just saying that cause I was there. And I think that there are, and I hate to fucking give officers kudos, but we had some regimental commanders that were fuck like geek level fucking geniuses Yeah, that made lasting changes to 
the organization at like at an organizational chart level. Right. So they, you know, started initiatives to hire, you know, now, now there are, there are a lot of, and, and these are changes that like these things existed in other units, like the unit stuff, you know, like having a civilian that sits in the, the ops, that's the, you know, institutional knowledge guy, like lessons learned guy that just sits there and is like, Hey, I catalog this shit and I remember it and I have it at hand and I'm a former E8 or E9. And I can tell these young dudes like, Hey, here, here's how combat worked when we were doing combat, you know, and that's not going to combat, you know, just cultural things, but it will hopefully keep guys from, or people from having to relearn some of those lessons we got taught in blood, Mm. you know, um, culturally, you know, if you get a senior level leader in who cares about dumb shit, then dumb shit's going to happen for a couple of years. But Overall, my experience up there, just to talk about when I was up there with those guys, like, God, those young fucking Rangers, man, they are fucking awesome. Like, they're fucking smart. You know, every kid I talked to was switched the fuck on, knew, like, everything going on in the battalion. You know, like, when I was a newer guy in the 90s, like, no one knew what the fuck was going on in ACO (laughs) or BCO or fucking... Or even another platoon. No one knew the reasons why we were doing things. No one knew initiatives of, of training. I knew what, like, my platoon aren't printed off a fucking training calendar for the month. So, like, I knew three weeks out what was happening as long as it was the first week of the month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, once it was the fourth week of the month, I didn't know what I was doing next week. You know what I mean? Um, so, they're, they understand everything. They know everything to where they know everything they know why they're doing everything Mm. which is a big huge cultural shift um and i think that's one of those things that'll help that unit continue to evolve and if they you know if they don't have reps in combat i still think they're going to be super successful when they start getting it because the culture there is is very like you know it's that, that strategic fucking pfc type mentality like hey you're a PFC, but like you have to know everything's going on. You have to know how to fucking do your job, the guy next to you's job, everything. And it's, it's a lot more big boy of a, of an organization now than it was when I grew up in it. Um, I remember, um, I think it was 2010. I deployed with a squadron as their TSC guy with a one. And I was with the Rangers were co-located. I think it was third bat. And they had a couple of these support kids that I was in charge of. One of them was like a HST guy. It's like a it's like a mm. oh like human resource yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah, human guy. Mm-hmm. And he, I was like, so where are you coming from? I was thinking he's like a DIA kid or NSA, like some of the agencies. He's like, no, I'm with Ranger Battalion. I'm like, and, and this kid's like, definitely not Ranger material. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so you're a Ranger Battalion human source like intelligence guy, a human guy. Yeah, I'm like. They have those? Like, yeah, they they just introduced a new program. And what I noticed over the career is j- joint task force, similar to the unit, would outsource or sub-use different elements. Yeah. But eventually they unilaterally brought everything in in a yeah. vertical. That's what the Ranger Regiment did during the entire GWAT when nobody was looking. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden you're like, so wait a minute. These guys have the unilateral capability to do any 
vertical counterterrorism operation on the planet with no support from any enablers or any other organizations. And they could do it on their own. And I, dude, I was like, I had that rotation. I had like, I did a, a recce bus. I don't think I talk about this much. I had a recce bus where I was a driver, Afghaned out. One of my APU guys, the Afghan partner unit was shotgun. I had two, I think they call them just recce guys from battalion mm -hmm. that were doing um, uh, whatever that, that old software on CF-19, CF-74s, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the, they were doing the map tracking mm -hmm. and nav. And behind them was like a sniper from the sniper side and like a TSC Ranger mm -hmm. and, and a, a machine gunner. Mm -hmm. And so like they had every capability that I could pluck from to support me in any operation. And they all had their specialties. Mm -hmm. And I was so impressed by that, man. I'm like, these guys basically are mini Delta Force mm -hmm. that are capable of doing the operation at less the expense as far as like the buy-in and the protocol and all the thing. And I'm like, dude, this is a future fighting force that's capable of doing it all. Yeah. And in a kind of a, what do you call it? Tertiary perk of that was, you know, I saw it as I was leaving regiment. Uh, another thing about that is you get, you know, when a guy walks into the recruiter and he's like, Hey, I am, I am kind of a higher performing guy. I want to try to do a special thing. You know, I'm going to do Rangers or I'm going to go to SVS like as a new guy and kind of like, you know, the early or the, the late aughts, like when we were getting out and you know, it's a flip of the coin. So like, you're going to get some high performing, but like weird dudes. Mm. And prior to the, the kind of cultural shift in regiment or the you know, manning shift where we had all these specialty positions. You had to like kicking doors or shooting machine guns. Mm -hmm. That was your fucking, those yeah. were your options. Yeah. And then as we evolved, now there were all these other things where people whose minds work just a little different mm. and they're fucking rock stars, but maybe they're not a dude that's going to be a great machine gunner because they just want a little more. Their, their brain works different. So now, now we had this breeding ground to, bring them up, let them know what a ranger mission looks like, and then be like, all right, go do that weird shit. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be awesome at it. And you're also going to understand how we work rather than like you were saying, when we had to outsource those people, mm. they didn't, they didn't understand our mentality. They didn't understand how we work. They didn't understand our workflow and it just didn't work as well. Sometimes it did, but once we had, you know, all those specialty capabilities of, you know, in my first, my first, uh, yeah, my first two trips as a platoon sergeant, we had contract canine handlers. Yeah, I remember that. You know, and air or Air Force guys. And stuff. Yeah, like I got lucky. I my my, I don't know if he'll listen. His name was Kippy Lee. That's his <laughs> real fucking name. Um, he'd been a Marine like MP dog handler, and he just got hired. But he was fucking awesome. He fit in with the platoon. He was fucking aggressive. Um. But some other guys had some horror stories about like having a fucking shit came out. And that's an important fucking job, you know? Um, so yeah, it's pretty rad that the regiment has now got all these things that are just, they're, uh, they're an internal capability. Like you said, they, they don't really have to ask anybody for shit now. Yeah, you've um, insourced everything. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I, I think they're, they're, they're looking good. Like I wouldn't want to fuck with them, you know, yeah. from what I saw. And, uh, are the guys, are the guys 
from your opinion, uh, you know, just talking to them about the ball, are they still hungry for conflict? And, and oh, yeah. War? Yeah, that's it's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, they have those fucking same stars in their eyes. Like a lot of it. I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You're not fucking <laughs> doing what you did to join. But at the same time, I was in the fucking army for like four and a half years before I fucking pulled a trigger yeah. in combat. So like fuck off <laughs> yeah but, and it could happen i mean dude with the way things are going right now i mean yeah there it, could be conflicts all over the map yeah and uh, you know i'm like hey man like just be patient it'll fucking happen um and i get i guess something to say on that not specifically per pertaining to the guys in battalion now because they're they're there they're doing the thing they're fucking I get a lot on social media like, hey, is it worth joining right now if all the wars are over? Mm. And usually my response to that is go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you're joining the military because you have this thing that you yeah. want to do. You like, want it convenient. Yeah. I want to go to war. Like, go fuck yourself. It's called service for a fucking reason. Yeah. So if you go in the military and you fucking shine doorknobs for four years, that's the same as going and fucking fighting for four years. Yeah. You're serving. You're doing things, you know, in accordance with the United States policies and objectives. Yeah, right? we so, joined when there was a garrison military. Yeah. In yeah. the Clinton era. God damn. Whore. Clinton era. To buy my own toilet paper. I remember that. Dude. I remember <laughs> I remember literally cleaning my M two four nine machine gun and making it chrome. Like mm -hmm. taking the bluing off the gun because it's like clean it more, like clean it until it has no bluing. Okay. And now it's like a chrome gun. Yeah. Like what the hell am I doing? That was just keeping us busy. That was busy work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it's, it's funny. Like we had these things uh, every two years, the RCI, the regimental command inspection. Yeah. At battalion. And when I was a new guy, like before the GWAT, that was like, we'd fuck around with that for a month. Like no shit. Polishing shower drains and fucking you know, with Brasso, like shining the boots that are in your fucking D bag. Right. Um, yeah. Brasso fucking making a rifle completely dry, like void of any fucking anything on it. It's totally clean just for the RCO to come up into our AO and ask a couple guys questions. I'm giving you a thumbs up. I got to piss real quick. Maybe. This is too good. I can't cut this short. We're over time, but I don't give a fuck. We have to keep this up. What time? What's our time in? Fifty-six minutes. Yeah, we ain't cutting. You good on time, General? Yeah, I, I'm good. It was just a different, I mean, it was just a different mentality back then. Yeah, it was. Priorities were all out of whack. And there, you know, 
you got to see both sides of it like I did. And there's, there are a lot of dudes that didn't see anything but the war that would shit on some things, which I do think there are a lot of things that I learned as a, like a peacetime ranger that were fucking important. Yeah. You know, um, like I never liked the, like, Oh, he's good in the field. Like (laughs) if you're a shit bag, man, you're a shit bag. Yeah. You know, like the dudes who always looked like shit, their fucking boots suck. They weren't ever good in the field. Yeah. They they fucking sucked in the field too. Cause they're fucking lazy. And if, you know, if you get to an organization, call it Ranger Battalion, and you're like, oh, man, I'm just here to fucking fight. I don't worry about that dumb shit. If you don't realize that the dumb shit is what gets you to the fight, yeah, then you're a fucking unadaptive fucking dildo fuck smuggler. I don't want to have you in my shit. Yeah. So, you know. But you learn that lesson likely through the GWAT. Right. You know, and I remember the unilateral or a bilat op or any indigenous work at all was frowned upon. Yeah. And it was because, I mean, internally, everybody just wanted to do the unilateral hit. But as things evolved, as we start to like downsize and and scale away from unilateral missions, if you want to get in the fight, you had to do a bilat option. So guys were like, oh, I I like to kick doors in and do that thing. It's like, well, you better be adaptive because if you're not, you're not going to fight, period. And then all of a sudden dudes are like, training dudes and becoming experts that's yeah. how it is yeah you saw that lesson when we started having to use ditch. like i myself was like what the fuck man yeah if i want to do this i would have gone to goddamn sfas i don't want to do yeah. this yeah you know but it again like and there was a a sergeant major from the unit in this one breeze like hey man like if you want to get in the fight this is the way to get in the fight so like yeah embrace it or fucking get left behind yeah um but yeah there there are a lot of good things that came from that era i think they you know, a lot of, a lot of things were bad, but those people kind of self-selected the people that just couldn't leave it, couldn't let it go. They self-selected as the war kind of went on. And the people that really like held on to the old was just because they were, they knew that stuff and they were comfortable with it and they weren't good at the new shit. Yeah. They weren't willing to adapt because it was hard. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So you go, you go from that trip, we go into nine, 10, 11. What, what year did you retire? I retired in 17. Um, Jesus. So we got a lot of years left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could do part three if you want. But uh, yeah. So that kind of started after I left doing my platoon certain time, my CSM or uh, the regimental CSM was like, Hey, we've got to get you to regiment. You have to do some staff time or you're not going to make the fucking E8 list. And I was like, I don't fucking care <laughs> for real. Just leave me here. I'll do this forever. I don't care. And he's like, I get it. But like, I would be a shitty leader if I let you fucking not yeah. promote it type. Thing. And is it two years as a platoon sergeant? 24 months? Just under three years. Just under three years. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's a lot yeah, more than it's like 31, 32. Yeah. Months, that's good. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, also on my last deployment as platoon sergeant, my best buddy, Dave McDowell, he was a platoon sergeant for the platoon we grew up in. He got killed in Afghanistan. Mm. And I like, looking back at it now, I'm like, that was fucking silly of me to ask. But I was like, I went to the CSM. I was like, let me take the platoon. Oh, wow. From Dave. I grew up in that platoon. I hung out with them all the time. It's a platoon I grew up in. All the squad leaders know me. It'll be great. And he's like, come on, man. Like, this isn't a movie. <laughs> you know? like, like, yeah, that's, I was going to say, it's like a movie. <laughs> he's like, that's really fucking sentimental. But like, fuck off. You're going to regiment. <laughs> 
Uh, so I go, you know, he's like, you need that staff time to, to come out on the eight list. I'm like, whatever. I PCS, I go down to the regimental S three shop. Um, I'm in the L and O cell. Um, this is at Benning at Benning. Yeah. And the E eight list came out like two months after I got there and I was on it before I had an NCOER or anything that had my staff time. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> so I made the E eight list without any fucking staff time. Um, what was the actual job? What would you, what was the So I started out in RHQ, man. I, I fucking hated it, which I should have, but I did learn a lot. Um, so I started out as in the LNO cell, which that was just basically liaising with other units uh, to set up mostly at that time. It was just to set up training. Mm. Um, there were a couple times when I would just go forward with dudes from other units and like stand up outstations or, you know, do kind of like site surveys in different parts of the theater for different problem sets. Oh, so you're going down range. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was, yeah. I was still deploying, um, you know, and I'd, I'd go out to outstations, uh, and, you know, go out on missions with different platoons or whatever. I learned a lot. Just like the big thing I learned being at RHQ was that the battalions aren't fucking different. You know what I mean? They're different. You think they are from your perspective in right. one yeah. battalion. They have a different personality. Yeah. But when you put a fucking range of platoon on target, the same shit's going to happen by the end as any fucking platoon that you put on it. Awesome. Um, that was the big lesson learned there. Dude, I have preference. Do I still have preferences of who I'd rather be around? Fuck yes. Um, but it just really taught me like, hey, we're all the fucking same. Um, and it, it was it was cool going out, you know, getting to go over, go down range and fucking go out and do shit with third bad and first bads and and my old guys. Um, what year is this? Ugh. That would have been like nine ten. So I was in Afghanistan in ten. I was in Balad in nine in Afghanistan ten. This is the time I remember battalion culturally. Well, one, I was with the first push from the unit into Afghanistan after we had given Af given Afghanistan it up as a task force, mm -hmm. and we fell into Colonel Carilla. Yeah, and we were being treated. Essentially, like redheaded stepchildren. Yeah. Battalion was like, Carilla specifically was like, you're not special. You'll do what the task force needs you to do. Even pulling dudes from the unit to go teach Afghans from mm -hmm. the Afghan partnering unit, which was yeah. stood up by a regiment, and, and not getting air support and all the things. But I noticed the regiment was doing this. I mean, they were doing something new. I don't know if it's called Team Darby. But they were doing yeah. basically movements to contact where instead of doing DA raids, which is the the standard, the SOP for the day, they were staying on the ground, living out of their rucks for extended periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that shift as you were in yeah, HQ? That was when I was in RHQ. So I, me and Carilla showed up basically the same time while I was driving to PCS is when the rendezvous took place and he took command. And he's the guy that stood in front of the reg or the battalion it was like three V's the best platoon you know really so I heard he was like an amazing leader he was he was a really good leader he was a great battalion he was fucking aggressive yeah and he didn't care about bullshit as long as you were as long as you were fucking aggressive and you were a fucking warfighter that's what he cared about yeah and that was a really good time to be a leader in that battalion under him he he gave you a lot of top cover for boys being boys and all that shit um so I would say one of the biggest, the biggest period of change in the regiment was when he was RCO. 
he's the one that changed rip to rasp you know rasp one which from when i went through it it was three weeks it got changed to four weeks he made that an eight-week course with a pre-rasp so now it's like 15 weeks or something it's long yeah Yeah. they do a pre-rasp and all that shit so he like completely overhauled the assessment and selection process um he also did something that almost made me fucking quit (laughs) which was he didn't care if you were already had grown up in the regiment if you were going to take a platoon or a company as an nco you had to go through rasp too so I was like, what? Like, you're going to make me go through a selection for a unit I'm already fucking in, man? Fuck you. And you were already a platoon sergeant this time. so you, I'd already been a platoon sergeant. So to go back to regiment from HQ, you had to go to RASP too? Not even, it wasn't even if you left a battalion. It was like, hey, I'm a squad leader. I'm getting ready to take a platoon. I'm just basically walking across the hallway. I have to go and do RASP too to, to assess for that position. Wow. So I was in RHQ. I was a fucking E7P or an E8. I can't remember. I think it was an E8 when I went. And yeah, I had to assess to take that company, even though I'd already been hired. I was already billeted. Yeah. To take a platoon, in, I mean, a company in one seven five. I had to go to RASP two. Was that is that was that like rope? Which yeah, was rope. The, yeah, old rope. RASP two yeah. was rope, but wow. rope used to be basically a week and a half. Yeah, it was like. PT test, five mile or 12 mile road march. All the check the blocks. Board. Yeah. You're done. And they give you some little, you know, Ranger TTP specific classes and you were done. That way it was four weeks long. It fucking sucked. Did it? <laughs> like it, it, it sucked for me. I was, I was the only guy in that class who was a regiment guy. Um, and you're an E8. Yeah. <laughs> I was likely the only E8. I was the only E8. Yeah. And it was like me and lieutenants and captains, like physically those motherfuckers were studs. Yeah. You know what I mean, I was definitely the worst shape of anybody there, but I was in fucking good shape. You know, I was in ranger shape, Yeah, you know, like I'd just come back from a, yeah, I just done like a deployment to Bagram, like a staff thing, but I was going out and doing shit. That's when me and Travis were together. Yeah. And, uh, but these guys are spotlighting for position. These guys are yeah. like hungry for position. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I really wanted to bitch about having to do that, but I think I was like the fourth or fifth class of regiment guys going through and every class up to mine, some fucking dickhead who was a guy like me who'd grown up in battalion went and failed something. Couldn't meet the standard. So failed a five mile run, failed a road march, failed a PT test, you know, for our, our standards, not big army standards, but failed some kind of physical gate or was a fucking prick in the board or just didn't play well with others. Some dumb shit. And it basically like, oh yeah, huh. those guys validated our need to do this because this, you know, in theory it gets rid of the good old boy system. Yeah. Right. So coming back post experience, you think it was worth it? Not for me, yeah. but I think it's necessary for the organization. Yeah. You know, um, I think that there were ways, you know, in, in my board, I fucking kept it real. I was like, I ain't getting a fucking haircut. I'm fucking wearing my same old fucking uniform. I ain't doing shit for this board. Yeah. And, uh, so I went in and I was like, and I'm going to tell them the fucking truth. And they were like, how do you feel about coming to RASP 2? I was like, I think it was kind of a waste of my time. Yeah. Um, they're like, well, you know, it's good to have you there as a regimental NCO to set the standard for all the other guys in the course. And then I was like, I could have done that as a tack. Like you exactly. could have sent yeah. me here and I have no problem doing the fucking physical standards. I was like, and I told them that in the board. I'm like, you could have had me 
come out here, have the cadre give me a PT test, five mile run and fucking 12 mile run. And then guest interrupted. And then I could have been attacked. I could have embedded with the students in the barracks. Like Rip did that. I rip tacked when I was like an E, a really young E6. I went from Fort Lewis TDY to a rip class. And I like lived in the barracks, the rippies went through the whole class of them, did every event they did. You know, I didn't get fucking smoked and shit, but I did the five mile run, the 12 mile run march. I did it all with the class. Yeah. And then when I went back to battalion, I knew all the guys who had been assigned to 275. That was, they did that every class. They yeah. sent an NCO from each battalion. So then like. You knew the, how squared away or how deficient certain dudes were. Right. And you know, I knew by the end of the course, I knew like a lot of their personalities. I'm like, that kid would be best in ACO. That guy would be best in CECO. That guy would be best in BCO. Like based off the personalities nice. of different companies. Um, so I was like, that, that's what you guys should do with this. Um, they didn't listen to me, but yeah. Um, so Carilla did that. You know, he, he very, very, very much professionalized the assessment selection programs in regiment. And I, I it's very, very evident now. Um, he started, you know, standing up a lot of the specialty positions. He, you know, um, dogs, SIGINT, yeah, all the things, all the things. Um, was he a ranger? I don't really, yeah, yeah, back in the day, yeah, he was a platoon leader and I think company commander in 375. Okay, so long time ago, yeah, yeah. and then, uh, I don't think he did any three shot, I don't think he did any staff time, and then he came to 275 as the, as the commander. Um, but he was, he was a great battalion commander, but he was, he worked you, man. He worked you like the name of the game for, we called him, uh, the war Eagle or whatever. And then when he got his general, we called him K star. Um, he op tempo was his thing. And yeah. I'm sure you saw that in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, like dude, that was insane. like, Oh, somebody farted over there and it sounded like Taliban, like Taliban, like go hit it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is my second rotation with the unit, and we were using, like, bottles of water to bathe ourselves and yeah. had no, literally nothing. I mean, the the unit support guys went out there with a bulldozer and, like, sectioned off this area, threw up GP mediums, and we were living out of tents. Yeah. And we didn't have air, I mean, air support. We had a, we, we had, we leveraged different air support, but to get anything, and it was like, hey, you're not, the, the idea at the time was you're just showing up to the fight. This is a yeah. different fight. Yeah. And I think quickly the organization realized that and had to kind of relearn a lot of things that yeah. it, it had forgotten about spending so much time in Iraq. It was an interesting time because I spent a lot of time, I, like I said, I, I went uh, with, with some dudes from the unit and stood up a couple outstations up north. Um, and then they kind of, at that point too, there just weren't enough fucking helicopters. Yeah. So they really put a big emphasis on ground mobility and like, how do we get ground mobility to be feasible and safe ish for, you know, operating in Afghanistan and doing TSTs. Yeah. And so they made a new position in the three shop, the ground mobility NCO. Huh. And, uh, I was the first one to do that. So I just basically went around to all different fucking units and, observed TTPs, figured out a training, like wrote up a fucking regimental training path for mobility for drivers and TCs and fucking on all the mobility platforms did like a mobility, uh, basically a mobility study of Afghanistan with regimental engineers some dudes from other units. Um, it was fucking interesting. Um, but basically what we came back with was you can't drive here. <laughs> um, 
it was it avoid driving at all costs. yeah it, it was one of those things that showed me like okay fuck like a lot, even though we're fucking the task force like sometimes it's like moving a cruise ship you know instead of a fucking maserati like i remember doing that whole thing and they were like hey we have all these mraps sitting in kuwait that we can get here and i was like yeah, I actually went to a fucking regular army unit and like got MRAP qualified and like nobody in regiment had fucked with those yet. And I was like, there's no fucking way we can use those for TSTs. Not here. Yeah, that was a good call because that would have been. They still bought them. Or oh, not, did they? Not bought them, but they still got them. And like, it was funny because uh, I, I did that job and then I, you know, went later, went to 175 and was a an ops and then a first aren't there. And we, we started calling it the GWAP Mobility Museums. Yeah, because <laughs> they had all these fucking vehicles just sitting at outstations and they didn't do anything. Yeah. Like you literally couldn't fucking drive them except for doing like perimeter security of the fucking base you were on. Yeah. Um, but they spent all this organizational energy doing it. I was and I was like, hey, like you can have survivability or you can have mobility. You can't have both. Yeah. Um, so you have to assume a ton of risk and put dudes in fucking Hiluxes if you want to do a TST. Or you put them in fucking MRAPs. It takes them fucking a day and a half to drive Target. Like, um, yeah, they're buttoned up and yeah. safe, but they're not mobile. And the other thing was like once you saw, and I, I told him this, like one, you saw once the general purpose force, the regular army and, and Marine Corps were in those fucking ultra survivable platforms, the enemy just made their IEDs gigantic. Yeah. So it was like, I even, I remember doing a like demonstration in front of, uh, it wasn't the RCO, it was the DCO. I dropped a fucking rock in a tin can in a Coke can. I was like, okay, watch this. And I just like, it's like, that's a person in a fucking vehicle. Like just because it doesn't get penetrated doesn't mean everybody's not going to fucking die inside. Yeah. You know, and that's what they were doing. So that was kind of my RHQ, uh, lifespan. I was in RHQ for like 22 months. I think I was deployed like 18 of them. Wow. Something like that. So that but was not definitely like a break. That no, was no, not yeah. a break at all. It, I wouldn't say deployed. I was either TDY or deployed. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that was self-inflicted. I fucking hated Fort Benning. I hated Columbus. So of like any little trip that came up like, Hey, we need a guy to go and like do fast rope fucking TTP refinement at 160. I'm like, I'll go. You know, yeah. like so yeah. I was doing all kinds of little just I was just a odd job person. I went I would go to GD to the fucking striker guys, like the engineers that worked on strikers and like be like, hey, you should fucking pull this out, put this in, make this wire go down here instead of up here because it gets caught when you guys get in and out. Like it was a pretty fun, fun gig. Seems like, like you got a lot of latitude yeah. from head- headquarters. Yeah, because it was it was an I was the only person who'd ever done it. So yeah. I could just kind of invent shit to do. And I, I just kind of always put it back on like, how can I make a platoon's life easier? Yeah. That was it. Um, how can I like get dudes on target easier and safer um, was kind of my thing. And then. What do you take uh, as you're, you're going from first sergeant now to take in a company? Mm-hmm. What's that transition like? And then. Um, how did that feel to be like a first sergeant? Yeah. So that was a big kind of transition. Cause, because not only was I taking, going into a company level leadership thing, I mean, I'd been, you know, when I was a platoon sergeant, my first sergeant went to selection and all this shit. So I'd, I'd been in that seat before. 
And yeah, do is just trust your platoon sergeant. It's easy. Um, but for me, there was a very big cultural shock going from 275 to 175. Very, very Was different. that mandatory that they go to a different group as an E8 just to S- spread the love? It was unwritten, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a cross-pollination thing. Um, and that was one of the things in my RASP2 board when they were like, hey, you're going to 175. How do you feel about that? And I was like, I think I'm going to be about fucking 65% as effective there as I am in Washington because, oh, you have a problem with a fucking squad live fire getting approved by range control? I know they got a call. Oh, you have a guy that has fucking just had a kid and the kid has a fucking toothache and he can't get into dental. I know the guy to call wow. like at two seven five in Washington. I'd been there for fucking 12, 13 years. I knew everything. Like I could get shit done like that. And I went to one seven five. I didn't know where the fucking chow hall was. Wow. You know what I mean? So as a senior leader, it's like, yeah, like, Oh, cross pollination, all that. Like, that's great. But we're still in the middle of a fucking war guys. And I don't have a lot of time. So you sending me here because you have this like, Ooh, we have to spread the wealth or whatever. Like it's, it briefs well, but it's fucking dumb. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I went down there and then there was also, you know, a lot of cultural shit that was different there. Um, there were a lot of good guys there, but just overall it was, it was not the culture I grew up in and that I vibed with. Um, I loved my guys in my company. I loved the boys were all the same. It was just the kind of battalion level, vibe was very different it yeah, was a you lot. have no rapport with them now you have to start the rapport no rapport again. yeah i mean it, it it was weird man when i got there i mean my i'll say the the csms that i had in that battalion were fucking shit bags really all of them yeah so that's but that's all the company command and no or, just or the, the battalion just the, the battalion CSM. just the battalion csms i had two different ones there they were both fucking just morally repugnant fucking pieces of shit wow um and good officer leadership there but the 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 way those guys' vibe permeated through that battalion it was like it was a very much us versus them mentality from the company level to the battalion level oh, which wow. is something i had never really been a part of yeah you know what i mean it was like an us against them what rather whereas when i was in 275 i was like oh man we have a problem let's take it to them because they're going to help us solve it interesting which is in in first range battalion at that time it was oh we have a problem let's hide it Cause they're going to give us more shit and make our life harder. Oh, it was just, you know, and that could be, and you know, it's not necessarily a one, seven, five thing. I think it was just a, 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 a command climate thing at the yeah. time. Um, but yeah, so I went there, I did, I did kind of a rotation as the ops, which was, was pretty good. You know, it sucked doing staff time, but you know, the, uh, S three Sergeant major and the S three, uh, were guys I knew from two, seven, five. And they knew how I worked and where I would be most effective. So they were basically like, Hey, you're just, don't worry about, we'll give you a little ankle biter problem, like to solve with your, your, you know, basically use your rank to solve things. Um, for the most part, we want you to be our link because they saw the same thing, be our link to the companies. So I went out and just observed training, fucking participated in training with the companies, you know, and I just, uh, and then I did one deployment as this is a interesting thing about that time period so i deployed in that job as the task force central senior enlisted advisor well we had in in our in task force central at the time we had you know team salerno which was uh 
two Ranger platoons, uh, like some civil affairs shit, whatever. A Team Toronto, which Team Toronto was a Ranger platoon and a troop from the mm -hmm. unit. Mm -hmm. So I had a troop sergeant major who technically was under me, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then we had, you know, a couple of other subunits that were guys who like outranked me, so to speak. So it was a really interesting fucking dynamic with working with that troop. And they, uh, they didn't like it, especially this, this troop sergeant major who kind of tried to big dick me at the yeah. beginning. And I was like, mm, that ain't going to work, bud. Yeah. Um, what year was this? This was 11 or 12. Okay. Um, so this, yeah, it, it's when we first started working with Indige, when we was the, the APU, Kateos, yeah. when that first started to come and out. And Gorilla's big push was, I mean, that shit was like, he's like, you will work with these guys. Yeah. And dudes got fired. I don't know if you remember, dudes got fired for pulling the firing pins. Yeah. 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 That was probably your time period too. Yeah. And uh, I remember you know, sending out, like we were get everybody was getting to know it. And I like, as the senior enlisted advisor, I'm trying to like pool everybody's experiences and share them with everyone. So I'd be like, Hey, I'd send out this bill, this blast, to all the, you know, senior NCOs in the, ta in the, in the, you know, TF central. Like, Hey, this is new to everybody. If you have best practices, yada, yada, just reply all here and I'll fucking tally them up and I'll, and I'll share them. And, uh, this one motherfucker, this this troops are major he's like the only real problems we've had with it is is the rangers and what they're doing with them like they've, they've been bitching about the rangers and stuff and i'm like offline i go to him like hey man that's not constructive because a every other fucking entity in this task force but you are rangers so like it's just all you're doing is making enemies there i talked to him like a like a bud like a bro and he pushed back again and i was like hey man like Maybe I'll just act like your fucking mom and say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And then he fucking, <laughs> he writes an email back and he CCs his troop commander. And I was like, I wrote back and I was like, do you think I'm scared of your fucking troop commander? Your troop commander can suck my dick. I know. I don't what give the a fuck? fuck. So I show the TF central uh, commander this shit up, but I'm laughing about it. I'm like, fuck this guy. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just this fucking weird power play with them the whole time. Um, and it it got bad with that that troop, like, because they were co-located with a range platoon on their camp and we would be targeting and they, you know, we'd be watching the fucking feed and be like, hey, you know, hey guys, we know you've been watching the star. Are you going to hit it? And they're like, no, we're going to pass on that tonight. I'm like, why? Uh, it doesn't meet our launch criteria. Like, what's your launch criteria? And this, again, this was when Op Tempo was the name of the fucking game. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of bad guys to kill that time period. Yes. Yeah. And they would him and haw about it. And then we'd be like, all right, cool. Hey, 2 bro. It was uh, a platoon from the, the company I eventually take. We were like, hey, 2B, you're going to go hit that. And then you're going to go hit your target after. And they'd go out and they'd kill fucking 20 dudes in one night. And like, they didn't get the point the whole fucking time. It was like they were being selective yeah just i've never seen anything like it and, and, and that's not indicative of that organization it's not yeah it was a yeah. it was a very very weird dynamic with that troops you know team i had jamie caldwell with me and we had the opposite experiences because jamie and the guys were so 
married to the to the rangers that were there yeah we would have we would have get togethers we'd have barbecues we'd do all this yeah. stuff and it was just epic it we was very different up there and it was surprising because it was actually the same troop that i was with in 05 but it, no one was the same people yeah but it was the same number yeah you know and uh it was disappointing it was really disappointing and like there were a couple of guys that had been in my platoon when I was a platoon sergeant that were in and they, they would come up to me cause I, I wasn't co-located with them. I was in a shrine, but I went up and visited a few times and guys from the street would be like, man, I'm fucking don't know what the fuck's up. Sorry. And they're like, I wish I was in that fucking ranger platoon instead of here. Yeah. yeah. And again, that I'm not talking shit about the, it was just, it was just that was it was that, a, it was a that personality, personality driven yeah. thing. And, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that outstation. So like I said, Every training cycle, we would, you know, do a, a GVX at the end. Every fucking platoon in the fucking battalion was just like, I want to go to Sharana. I want to go to Sharana. I want to go to Sharana. That was the place. Yeah. Because that platoon had just fucking schwacked the shit out of. Did the so troop have preference or did they have or, or did they have priority? No, they they basically did the same targeting, same everything. And they would pitch their, you know, at the targeting meeting, they'd pitch their target and the ranger team pitched their target. Yeah. And then, you know, somehow within, you know, the three hours between the targeting meeting and like go, no go fucking time and be like, yeah, it's not, it's not good. I'm like, all right. Um, but on that deployment, as I was, you know, the, the TS central senior list advisors, that's, that's what I was doing. I was going out to, so I had also had, um, you were talking about team Darby team Merrill. There was also, uh, two platoons that were, I can't remember if they were Merrill or Darby, but tell, tell people the difference and what they were. The difference was just, God damn, I couldn't tell you now. Probably I think it was, name and it was just, it was just a yeah. timing thing. Yeah. Um, but it was basically the task forces surge, right? So you had all the outstations that we had were filled with, you know, how many strike forces they wanted with a mixture of troops and platoons of Rangers and other units. Um, and then you had team Merrill or team Darby, which was basically a surge like, Hey, we're going to send a company forward that by the way is like extra. So it's those guys that just got off their deployment. They were home for fucking two months and now they're going again and they're going to have an extended deployment. Um, so it was basically a company and they didn't have a set outstation. It was kind of like, okay, there's problems up here. Send them up there, surge them there. They're going to fucking do movement to contact fucking Korean war ranger shit. Yeah. Right. Lerp shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they got it the fuck on. Yeah. Um, I heard those were like, I was jealous cause I was in the, I was part of the strike force and I was with unilateral third back guys and they would all talk about it and try to get in on the, the action. Because yeah, yeah. one of the characteristics was it sucked because you were living out of ruck, but two, there was a lot of killing to be had. Yeah, lots. It was, uh, it was. I mean, it was, it goes back to Kirilla's aggressiveness. Yeah. You know? It was like, okay, this village, every time this conventional unit goes in there, they get IED'd and fucking take small arms contact. All right, we're going to have a ranger platoon just walk through it. They're going to walk through it. They're going to fucking Alamo up somewhere, remain over day for two days and just wait for people to come and shoot at them. And they're just going to kill them all. That was like when those guys, who's the, the Reaper, 
the, black, the black ranger <laughs> he i think he was he was prior to that oh was it prior? yeah he was he was was prior he a gwat guy or he, early gwat guy early gwat guy oh, yeah okay. he was he was around for like a cup of coffee yeah he wasn't uh yeah i don't think he was there for that oh, okay maybe I, maybe one of the early no i think he was just there for doesn't matter but he all all his missions and stuff i think were predominantly down south which okay. i mean team darby or merrill and I don't remember what the difference was. I think it was just timing. Yeah. Um, they did, they did a ton of work down South. Um, a lot of, a lot of pressure plate IEDs for dismounts and stuff like that. That's where they took a lot of casualties. Um, but that's not because they weren't in contact. They were fucking, they were fighting a lot. Um, killed tons of dudes. Um, but that whole, I never did. I went down, you know, when I was in, like I said, when I was in the R staff and I was traveling around and stuff, I went to South, like Kandahar, Bastion, uh, Kalat, all that. I did that in like a kind of a, you know, battlefield circulation capacity, but I, I was never assigned to TF South in any way. Um, all my deployments were central East and North. Um, but the, yeah, so I did that deployment when, uh, as the senior enlisted advisor, I was out of Salerno, which was coast. So it was like Chapman was there. Um, and there were two platoons on, and I, when I wasn't out doing other shit, I just went out with one of those two platoons every night. They had a mission. I would go out with them. Um, ghost assaulter. Yeah. Yeah. Task force Denman, uh, TF honey badger. They started to call me cause I would go out and whatever platoon I was with, like their company first sergeant would be out too. Mm-hmm. So we had these two rogue fucking E8s just like kill just fucking just going off. And uh, so the platoon sergeant was a good buddy of mine. We were like kind of peers. He was a E7P, like very senior. Right before the deployment, that platoon sergeant had some weird shit happen where he didn't deploy. So they were like, hey, do you want to take a platoon? He's like, fuck yeah, I'll take a platoon forward instead of being on staff deployed. Fuck yeah. So it was like me, him, and the first sergeant of this company were just fucking rogue it was a fun time but huge 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 op tempo like every fucking night one or two targets do it we were also doing believe it or not we were doing daylight land on the x with conventional 47s wow which was eh, nothing bad ever happened but something bad could have happened yeah um but we were just fucking aggressive you know um and those were a blast man like landing on the x or the y in a 47 in afghanistan and just like run into the fucking breach and daylight like that's that's what you're doing that's what you joined the fucking army to do yeah you know um so even in an admin capacity a technical staff job you're doing all this shit leading up to your first arm time yeah yeah see but the, the sf the sf parallel would be you would be an hsc first sergeant yeah that that was their proposal to me after my team sergeant time and they're like you got to go hsc for the you know in the hopper to be, to take a company as a company sergeant major. And that would have involved like policing and, and taking care of support guys on a base with no interactions with combat operations. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I don't know if you call it lucky or blessed or whatever, but I also like in my military career, I did a good job of setting boundaries. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, people talk about setting boundaries for mental health and all that shit. I yeah. could, I did it well there. I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And if you put me there, I'm going to probably do a shit job. 
And they're like, oh, shit. So, again, I was very lucky to have leaders above me that recognized where I operated the best and where I would be most value added. And that's where they put me. And I was lucky. Yeah. So as a, you know, an E8 working in the three shop, I was going on assaults every night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not didn't sit well with a lot of senior leadership in the fucking, uh, battalion in the regiment, you know? Um, but yeah. And then I took, uh, took a company after that and I only did one deployment with the company cause I ruffled some feathers, but you know, that's where we stop. <laughs> so we're going to stop right now cause we're going to do a part three of this. And, uh, so the part three is leading into you step into a company first sergeant position. Yep. And then you ruffled some feathers. Yeah. Before we go, I brought you a present from Normandy. What is this? This is a piece of a German bunker on uh, Omaha Beach, the Verville Cut, where my Charlie Company 2nd Range Battalion, where they hit the beach and their objective was that. So this is a piece of the actual physical structure, debris yeah. that is left of the the nest of the uh of a bunker? bunker yeah shut the fuck up yeah it's pretty cool bro that's so badass yeah i thought i saw you pick this up in my front yard though no 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 uh, this is legitimate <laughs> it's my front it. yard this is it yeah 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 wow yeah. on normandy yeah on omaha beach yeah omaha beach uh at the intersection of dog green and dog white sector of omaha beach dude which is uh where my original where do I put in. this? How do you how do you display this? Somebody's uh, I don't gonna know. see it, just throw it in the trash. It's like, <laughs> what's this crap? It's like, yeah. dude, I need to put this in a box with a, a an inscription. Yeah. How before we close out, how was that experience overall? Because you you went with Black Rifle Coffee, you did you did a static line and a free fall jump, right? Right. Yeah. How was that? It was it was it was out of body. It was unreal. Yeah. It was, it was wow. like so much fucking emotion, like doing that, jumping into. Cause those, the places we jumped into weren't like sport skydiving drops. They were fucking farmer's fields. Drain, they were DZs on D-Day. Right. So, wow. Uh, actually out of the actual aircraft out of a fucking C-4 in a uniform. Yeah. Minus the shitty parachute. I assume you jumped yeah. in a better parachute. Yeah. Better parachute, somewhat more modern parachute. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was fucking wild, man. Because like also it's a civilian and it's a civilian thing. So it's a lot less safe than doing it with the military. Like, like you're good. All the military drops didn't drop. They like didn't have wins. They were fucking whatever. I was a little ashamed of the army to be, yeah. to be honest. But so they had a safety protocol of this. So they said, we're not doing it, but you guys are like, send it. Yeah. We sent it. Yeah. And a couple of dudes got hurt, uh, broken leg, broken arm, I think. But, uh, <laughs> it was wild. Like when the fucking, uh, the jump master of the passes, you know, given the DZ brief, he's like, you got fences here, power lines here. You got a bunch of trees here. You got fucking barbed wire fence. You got this thing. You got a creek. You got this. And I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> Where do you land? Yeah. Yeah. A guy, a, a couple, uh, more than a couple guys went in trees. A guy went in a fucking creek over his head. He was fine. But yeah, it's a little spicier of a, of a jump. But you think about, we were, we got to go out and look at it and survey it and do all this shit. And you know, those guys doing in, on D-Day jumping into that fucking blind at night blind with you know combat jump, equipment combat equipment fucking trained fucking battle hardened soldiers on the ground to fucking trying to kill you it was wild to think about dude you know? how was your landings mine were great but I'm a fucking world record parachutist I don't know if you know that I know you so. broke <laughs> seven world <laughs> records or something like that but no they 
they were good as long you know i have a decent amount of experience and like i've been the skydiving piece i've been practicing so much that it was you know it was good i landed i'd landed in a hedgerow on the skydive because the winds were pretty fucking spicy and i could have got fucked up there but i didn't um the the static line though was great it was uh i landed right on the pi it's fucking awesome yeah like on it about 10 meters from it wow yeah that's awesome yeah did logan jump with you yeah he did he had good jumps too yeah um and then we had jenna jenna bakken she just yeah. got her uh a license um with us and she did the free fall jump she did you? the free fall yeah and that was a varsity <laughs> jump man like we spotted the dz you know but <laughs> uh was it a it was a halo or hey ho halo yeah okay um we could only get up to about 7,500 feet because it's the 40 C 47. It would take in another half hour to get to 10 grand. Yeah. Um, and it was like, you know, it's more the experience. So I, all of us, I was like, Hey, I'm going to get out, get separation and pull. So I pulled really high just cause I wanted to see yeah. the sites, but didn't really see a lot of them through the clouds. The cloud deck ended about, 900 950 feet oh god so when you so come, you're on your final yeah you come out of them and you're like this is what i'm getting so wow she did a fucking great job though um and uh yeah it was it was it was fucking awesome man like the 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 static line we did into a place called omfreville which was uh one of the 80 seconds objectives um pretty close to where general gavin landed and all that uh lafayette was another big one it was like kind of right across the big road um, and then the, uh, the free fall was, uh, they were supposed to do a static line jump too, but cloud cover like that, they couldn't do it. Um, Osreville, I think Oz, I mess up the pronunciation, but they were some gun batteries that were leveled on Utah beach. So they're just inland of Utah. And it was, uh, another, I think 82nd objective, maybe 101st objective, but it was during the war. These do these guys literally jumped into like a gun battery and got got fucking chewed up pretty bad so like to jump into that spot it's like it's 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 indescribable to, to think. so epic man yeah it's awesome well you'll be there next year i can't wait man yeah i'm actually looking really f I'm, I'm thinking about it right now because i'm looking forward to it and oh my god yeah it's gonna be fucking talking about the army awesome. brings back a lot of memories good and bad but yeah. All right. Jericho Dimon, everybody. Thanks, Jericho. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs>